Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week, and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription, and your donation will help pay our music license, buy audio gear, and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for young ears. This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I would also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and elders of other communities who may be listening. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Cooper has an extraordinary list of achievements on her website about page and I will pop a link uh, to that in the show notes but she has just launched a leadership training business the growth collective which specializes in training for new leaders and is also an executive coach who works with a lot of mums and she's a mum of two um so you've just got a short list of things on your plate at the moment (laughs) you're reading that out I did feel both embarrassed and like I had massively overcommitted, <laughs> which is how I feel on a day-to-day basis. So that seems right. How old are your kids? I've got a five-year-old who just started school this year and a two-year-old who tantrums like a CEO. Yes, yeah. good. Well, good, um, good experience then. <laughs> uh, I will start with our first question. Sure. If you were stuck on a desert island and you could take one meal, one drink and one personal item, what would they be? Yeah, um, I imagine there'd be a lot of coconut water there already, which would probably be one of my top choices of obnoxious drinks uh, living in the most progressive <laughs> suburb in Melbourne. <laughs> um, oh, look, it's not a meal, but I can't get through a day without um, dark chocolate, so I would take a good stash of that. I always have a stash of that in my um, briefcase at work, which I just bring out and from time to time, which my colleagues find hilarious. Um, and look, I'm a bit boring with drinks. I don't, um, actually really stopped, um, drinking much alcohol since, uh, the kids were born. When I started 
breastfeeding, wine started tasting a bit funny to me, which I grew up in a very um, red wine is the kind of most important thing in life household. So I think my parents are a bit disappointed <laughs> about it. <laughs> but I reckon I'll take a steady supply of orange juice. Oh, good. Yeah. Pulp or no pulp? Oh, another thing that's changed as a parent um, – I had really, really terrible morning sickness, so I'm a no pulp. I'm like a child again. Yeah, no pulp. Yeah. Just like a, a berry brand. Yeah, that's <laughs> I want to be real orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm no pulp. I'm just starting to be able to tolerate it again. Oh, that's so, really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's start with your story. Mm-hmm. How is it that you came to do what you do and – what is it that you do exactly? Yeah. And then also just a bit about your motherhood yeah, story sure. would be really nice. Um, I have now ended up with uh, a very deliberately uh, with a portfolio career. So I first heard that term um, in an amazing conference I went to called Wired for Wonder, which was run by the Commonwealth Bank, um, and Sarah Nally, who runs an amazing um hard to describe, experience retreat um, business for women, amongst other things, um, called She Evolves. Uh, We're going to Fiji in October, my business partner and I with that, so a little plug for Sarah, Um, introduced me to this idea of portfolio career and it just kind of blew my mind about um, five years ago. And so I've been working on building my portfolio since then. I started my career as um, a very poorly placed lawyer <laughs> I really I loved um, studying in at uni and I've always had a pretty academic uh, bent but I worked at a top tier law firm as an employment lawyer and every time we'd do professional development training um, we would use a personality profiling tool Myers-Briggs which you might have come across uh, and I, it's a quadrant methodology and I would always be kind of in the right um, bottom corner alone. <laughs> it's a very extroverted um, feeling person who didn't really <laughs> fit in very well with the kind of typical um, introverted, you know, high um, preference for thinking and rational thought um, profile so I moved from employment law into HR um, in like was actually kind of quite a difficult transition to make. I was young and obnoxious, so I thought that lawyers were like better than HR professionals and couldn't work out why no one would hire me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the things that interest me and my career and I love talking to people about their workplaces and their careers um, which is now I specialise in workplace dynamics and organisational development. Um, So I have a real job. I work part-time in an executive role as a chief people officer at a mutual bank Uh, and I I job share that role uh, which is really awesome and something that I've never seen done before. So but, um, we're constantly kind of uh, making up how that works as we go along. That's nice though. It's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, and my business partner and I have launched the Growth Collective, which um, is 
specialises in training new and emerging leaders. So we have some public programs that are available at the moment. Um, that's been really, really fun and harder than I thought uh, launching a, a new business over the last kind of six to nine months. Um, always something to learn. And then uh, I also uh, run an executive coaching business. So it's uh, really suits my love of planning and compartmentalising. <laughs> so my diary is fully booked now up until about November. So uh, on Monday I coach, on Tuesday, Thursdays and Friday I have a real job and on Wednesdays I run our training business. Yeah. And so because of the kind of personality you have, how did you find that when <laughs> you had kids? Oh, God. Um I always think that using the MyBreeze methodology again, that parental leave really works for spontaneous introverts and I'm a very highly planned extroverted and I hated my parental leave. I found it really, really hard and really lonely and it's quite interesting because I had my second baby in the pandemic and because everyone else was on maternity leave too. <laughs> I actually found that experience much more um, supportive. So my husband was home, um, it, you know, all the time. And it was just such a kind of reverse feeling. So when my daughter would sleep, that's when I could go for a walk or, you know, those exciting trips to the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which is so different to the kind of feeling of, uh, I think of being trapped that I really felt in my first definitely six months, uh, yeah, with my son. Because it's yeah. pretty abrupt. Yeah, and um, it's so interesting. I think sometimes people say, why didn't, um, I've never said, oh, why didn't you tell me it'd be like that? Because, like, I just know that. I ignored everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just kind of thought that I would, you know, that it, I would be different and, I and don't it know, is, yeah. special or <laughs> something. Yeah. So it's such, it's a really interesting thing. I really, um, I really like to be prepared. Uh, and, but I've kind of got a view that it's kind of a bit of a waste of time preparing for parenting. Um, and I really like the idea of, parenting fit uh and I think one of the things that I have with my second child is just like spades more perspective yeah yeah of like truly knowing that this too shall pass when my son wouldn't sleep as a baby I just really I feel like in my body, I just thought that he would be 30 and I would just be busting past his partner and stroking his eyebrows. Like I just really viscerally believed that like that this period of time would never forever. end. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying much more this kind of period of um, parenting than, than the baby stage. Yeah. Yeah. So when um, when we spoke on the phone in preparation for this, we spoke um, a lot about the mental load and the wife drought and gender norms. And I would really, I, I want you to basically just repeat everything you said. <laughs> um, but 
since then, especially my husband and I have swapped, so I've gone back mm-hmm. to work four days and he's resigned and he's at home with the kids. Um, but we talk a lot about how the system as a whole mm. is really – it feels really broken. Like your kids' school hours don't match your work hours. Mm. There's not much flexibility. I think maybe it's a little bit different post-COVID, but go. Yeah. <laughs> we should have recorded that. It would have been a much better – um, podcast, I'm sure. Um, I just kind of want to start by saying that I'm going to talk, like I really love, I'm fascinated by this topic. It's the thing I love talking to my friends about and um, and to my husband, although I don't know that he enjoys it quite so much. <laughs> um, you know, that it's lots of these ideas are based on assumptions about gender and I think we're going to, I'm going to talk about things in like quite a heteronormative way. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that up front. But I think that that is useful to really unpack that that's the way that we've actually structured a lot of our systems and life is on the assumption that that's how families look and are. Um, and I hope that doing that is actually useful and broadening and more inclusive for um, all families in whatever kind of shapes and size that they come into. Um and yes, I'm obsessed with Annabelle Crabbe. I hope one day she'll be my friend. Um, and reading her book, The Wife Drought, like um, I found really incredibly useful. So I'd highly recommend that. And it's really interesting because I work a lot with um, particularly um, female leaders in the executive coaching space. And there's a real complexity in moving through the corporate world as someone who has both usually significantly more responsibility and also the assumption that you have specific um, significantly more responsibility. And, um, you know, because I, I work in HR and so it would be really easy to talk to you about how workplaces could be better set up for parents or you know, the types of targets that we should have or the things that we should um, measure or the policy settings that we should put in place, which are all really important um, and also of real interest to me. But I just see that the biggest source of pressure um, for mums usually comes from the interactions that they have at home and the way that... Um, their lives end up being structured in how responsibility is shared between them and their partner. Um, And Sheryl Sandberg, who's obviously become a bit of a controversial figure, um, and look, I read Lean In as a young lawyer and I think what I liked about Lean In is some of the things that it's like most criticised for because it gives you an action plan And when, you know, you're an individual in a system that doesn't seem to be really well set up for you, I think it's really attractive to be like, what can I as a person do to navigate Mm. through that? One of the things she says in that book, which I do think is a very useful piece of information, is one of the most important career decisions you make is who you marry. Um, Accepting, of course, that marriage is a patriarchal old school (laughs) institution (laughs) that I'm strongly engaged in. Um, But it's, yeah, I I just really see this kind of pattern that plays out um, and this is incredibly 
stereotypical but I think pretty well backed by research. Um, so men and women tend to form long-term partnerships or get married. There tends to be an age gap between them. So my partner and I, have, um, my husband's three years older than I am. So already you've got, you know, three years of workforce participation between the ages of 25 to 30, pretty significant from a salary perspective. Um, And then you put on top of that a gender wage gap. And then with those age differentiations, you tend to have um, a woman who's pretty ready to have kids perhaps earlier than a male partner is. So then you tend to have this dynamic of um, talking your husband into having children not the greatest leverage uh, at that point in time. <laughs> um, and then you have a baby and you exit the workforce at that point in time. Um, particularly in Australia, there's um, a lot of really good quality health-backed um, ideas about breastfeeding as being kind of a key KPI <laughs> for motherhood. So then you've got this idea that the most important thing that you can do uh, is being physically attached to this baby for a 12-month period of time. Um, and then at the end of that year, you have just become the absolute expert because you have put the most hours in. And then you kind of go back to look at um, your life and your career and how it should be uh, designed and you're already out of the workforce, you probably earn less, perhaps significantly less. Um, Childcare seems to be considered as a cost of a female salary rather than as a family cost. And I think it just it makes so much uh, sense that we do see the demographics that we see at the moment, which is the average household in the last Australian Institute of Family Studies, is a dad that works full-time and a mum that works part-time. And I think we could probably all look around our friendships groups and go, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, And then the other thing that happens, and there's this really amazing graph that, once again, my hero, Annabelle Crabb, um, describes really beautifully uh, as it's a a graph of, um, it's, it's divided by gender, so male and female, and it tracks... Um, un, it tracks childcare, housework and paid work, so employment, um, in the first 10 years of a child's life. And the men's graph looks incredibly stable and unchanged. And the woman's graph looks, as Annabelle <laughs> describes, as um, like a coronary heart attack, <laughs> which is kind of what the experience feels like. <laughs> because, you know, the employment absolutely plummets the housework goes up significantly, the childcare goes up significantly, and then it's this kind of like erratic, jagged line, um, which most people have tried probably, most women have probably experienced of, you know, going into work, maybe having another baby and coming back out of work, you know, trying three days, trying four days, trying two days, trying two jobs, like that. Um, and that experience just seems so, uh, so, so common. And the thing that I find really interesting about it, because I'm obsessed with um, adult skill development, (laughs) 
is um is this kind of idea that that we as a society seem to think that only men can run countries and companies and cities but they couldn't possibly remember to take a charge of swimming on a Saturday or unpack a dishwasher. Like it's just a really interesting perspective on capability. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just really interested in, in how that kind of all comes to be and I guess what we can, what we can do about it. Let's, before we keep going, do you want to explain what The Wife Drought is? Yes, The Wife Drought is a book. Um, and it's got some really extensive research in it. Um, it's a book by Annabelle Crabb. Um, and it uh, comes from this idea that in earlier times, so in the 50s, when you were a man and working, um, a big part of your ability to engage in work was that you had a wife at home. And so now we're all trying to work and none of us have wives. <laughs> my husband certainly doesn't. <laughs> my, my, my husband, no, I have a wife. It's my husband. <laughs> yeah. But we are the absolute exception, not yeah. the norm. That's right. And it's really interesting um, uh, when we look at demographics and this idea of um, stay-at-home dads and, you know, house husbands was on TV, so... Um, it, it must be a cultural phenomenon, but we've kind of seen a really steady, a hovering between like three to five percent um, demographic of stay-at-home dads over long periods of time. I think decades. So it, it's you know, and we look at um, how women's participation in the workforce has massively disrupted, um, in what well, in a way that I think is mostly positive. Um, what your kind of average woman's life looks like. Like I think about my life and my average day compared to what my mum's kind of average day looked like. But the average day of a working man hasn't, you know, we haven't seen a change in households and the way that life, when we think about work-life balance, that life runs at any way that goes anywhere near to kind of paralleling the change that we've seen in um in the impact that work has had on women. So basically, and again, generalisation, but men's careers and their day-to-day life overall has stayed the same, but women have gone back to work, but they've also had to keep doing all the stuff at home. Yeah. And Generally. There's, yeah, there's some really great research from about 2018 that um, married women with kids do on average more unpaid labour than single mums with kids. I feel like I've shocked you. <laughs> no, 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 you haven't. Unfortunately, you, you, you haven't. But do you think that that's – why do you think that that has come about that way and why hasn't – so when women started going back to work more, why wasn't there a shift in how men worked? Yeah, and there's some – there's an interest – you know, I think a lot of your listeners will have heard of the motherhood penalty. So um, the financial impact on average that mothers have in earning capacity. Um, 
think it's eight hundred and seventy-six. Yeah, eight percent thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> over the course of a career. Well, let's not talk about superannuation, <laughs> but but interestingly, the fatherhood penalty is actually two percentage points more. So um, when I say that, I mean men who in and this is old research. This research is probably about a decade old now. But men who access flexible work um, opportunities uh, or, you know, do um, design their lives in a way that mirrors more like working mothers um, face an even stronger penalty. So they're kind of – and that's just like such an interesting discussion. Um, And I think that all comes down to – uh, gendered expectations so while it's really hard to um you know juggle all the expectations that um you know this idea of like can we have it all that that women face being countercultural is a really big thing um and so while it's really tough for women it's weird for men yeah so and look i think we're seeing really big um shifts with that but it's it's you know when men do say like I couldn't possibly take that unpaid parental leave because it will um damage my career like uh, that's a valid um thought process to have I mean the flip side of that is you know (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to be diplomatic um you don't have to be (laughs) (laughs) the flip side of that is you know well, parenting um, for women, particularly who, you know, um, are pregnant and give birth, for people who are pregnant and give birth, um, like, of course, is not career sacrifice free. Yeah. And so maybe an acceptance across parents that, you know, becoming parents comes with a level of um, sacrifice and change is really useful. But, yeah, it is a... it's a it's definitely a conundrum that really impacts on uh, men as well and I'm really really interested in that in the conversation about working dads which may be a phrase that you've never heard because we do not talk about them because they are just people (laughs) 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 they are just executives (laughs) (laughs) but I think um well, our, our experience as a family was that Leith wasn't offered the flexibility mm. after we had our first baby. He wasn't offered the flexibility even when he asked for it. It was they were like, well, no, you can't work three days a week. You can work four. And he said, no, thanks, and went and got another job that did give him that flexibility. But he worked with women in the same role as him who did have that flexibility because they were mums. Yeah. And so that's really interesting too. Yeah, none of us are bias-free. I think that's really interesting. Um, I think that's so important is this isn't a men versus women issue. Like we will all have this the bias about what roles people should be playing and what's normal and what's acceptable. And, like, I think a lot of men who um, – really go out to get flexibility, have a bit of – get a bit of a, like, are you taking the piss attitude, yeah. uh, which is highly offensive. But it's um, 
and it's really interesting and it, it's also interesting when we think about how we structure our lives with our partners and what it is that we think is work that only we can do or that we're the best at um, or that's like inherently our job or that our kids will suffer if we don't do. Um, and I always use the example, um, if if at Christmas time there are no presents for my husband's family, it's pretty common <laughs> that the like social implications of that will be on me. Yeah. Because the expectation is that, I would be the one um, like to take care of that like particularly particular social um, expectation. So those things that we kind of carry and do, um, you know, like if the house is a mess and people come over, like I feel that like deeply in my soul <laughs> because and I think these things are often like, Un, not unpacked or undiscussed um, because my lived experience is that that's a th- that that's like a thing that's expected of me, mm. yeah. Whereas my husband will be like, what is wrong with you? Like why have you turned into a crazy person because our house looks like our children live in it? <laughs> um, yeah, and it's really, really interesting to unpack those things and – particularly after we have spent this period of time with little babies um, where we have become, you know, we've got, I've got the PhD in the one-year-old uh, and there's something that always really sticks with me. Um, so my one of the ways that that has really changed in my particular family circumstance is that my husband took three months off full-time and I went back to work full time when our um, eldest was born, and we did that again with our second. But in terms of that um, experience that you've had, um, Brody, like, yeah, everyone thought it was weird. It was a really bad financial decision. My husband's self-employed, so he didn't earn any money. <laughs> and but the thing that I always really remember is, you know, and I was and I was really stressed about it that that he wouldn't do it right. Yeah, <laughs> you get because it wrong. <laughs> like you said, you had the PhD in the in the totally. one year old, and I was, you know, whinging to my mum about it, and she said to me, and it's always really funny when people say things back to you that you've just been saying to them for twenty minutes, and you're like, <laughs> "What do you mean?" <laughs> and she said, "Oh, well, you might just have to accept that he like doesn't do it as well as you." And um, it, my husband and I have like a, you know, we we both studied law together, and so. Um, we actually had this experience of like being, of like of of, com- of competing, of like being genuinely objectively judged <laughs> based on our grades of like who was better at stuff. Um, and my husband was valedictorian of our law school, so he was always the best. Oh, um, that's so, a bit painful. <laughs> oh, I know. Look, it wasn't the right field for me. Um, <laughs> but I, it was so it was such a good comment for her to make because I was like, what do you mean, Matt's better at everything than I? <laughs> Like, why do we, why am I doubting the capability of this, like, highly, highly capable, capable person? Um, And, yeah, I think a lot of the time it's about when I first became a parent, I had no idea what I was doing. I had genuinely never changed a nappy and I worked it out through trial and error. 
And the biggest, I think those three months where Matt was at home with Oscar um, full-time, despite being the only time I've ever had a wife um, in my wife drought, were some of like the really hardest periods of our family because I had to really hold myself accountable to letting him learn through trial and error in the same way that I had because well, then it's a that that can become a contentious issue totally. within a relationship. Because if the mum who knows because she's been doing it, <laughs> then goes, "You're not doing it right. Don't do it like that." It that's hideous to have anyone absolutely tell you that. And yeah. because you're so time poor with kids, you don't phrase it very nicely mostly. And so it's just you're doing it wrong. And then that you know, I imagine that in a lot of cases, then the the dad goes, well, fuck you, do it then. And look, I think that is the absolute foundation for the vast majority of um, distribution of household chores in Australia is that is that exact dynamic. I think that's why um, the vast majority of people who are making lunchboxes are mums. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no reason to not kind of split that that task in half. Um, yeah, and there's a there's a real, I think, discipline in um, allowing other people to develop skill and style. Mm. Yeah, and it's hard because it's the we are doing an experiment on the thing that matters the most to us in our lives, our children's well-being, which we're honestly always experimenting with. <laughs> it's all trial and error. Yeah, with our own parenting. But, yeah, that's I think that's where so much of the foundations about how we – Share our time and effort. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So if you've got a couple who are parents who both work however many days each Mm. and one of them feels they're carrying the mental load more than the other, what's a... um, What's a solution for that? Yeah. Um, there's an awesome resource for this, um, which is the Fair Play book and cards. Um, so the kind of classic response is like, well, you should talk about it. Uh, but this, the really practical thing that's really useful is like get together and write a list mm-hmm. of everything that that gets done in your household and be like really extensive about it, you know, do it over days and something really interesting usually happens. So firstly, there are, there are pieces of 
um, there's mental load and work that Matt does that I never think about. Because it's not yours. Because it's not mine. <laughs> In the same way that there are things that I do that he um, never thinks about, which, you know, obviously infuriated me. Um, so it's a, it's a nice kind of assessment of the true state mm. of that. But the other thing that's really, really useful is um, just being really extensive about that. So who takes leave when the kids are sick? Who takes um, – who does medical appointments? Like I think the spontaneous unplanned things are really important to put on that list because you might find that through social expectations you've just fallen into a habit of doing that in a pretty gender um, normal way. And then once you've got that list, I think there's like three really useful things to do. So the first is like, is there anything you can just stop doing? So Brody is sitting in my living room in front of, you know, surrounded by my children's toys because I no longer clean up before people come to our house. Great. And you have kids that live here. Totally. <laughs> and my parents are mortified by it. <laughs> Um, with my ethnic upbringing. And so, like, that's just something I used to do that I just don't do anymore. You know, can you wash the sheets twice, once every fortnight instead of weekly? Like, just is there anything that you're on there that doesn't bring you any joy that you're Mm. doing, like, just because it's expected of you? Or that you're doing because it was how you were brought up. Totally. And then you go, oh, hang on, this actually doesn't matter for me. Yeah, I don't (laughs) Um, and there's a great, it's a bit hippie, but there's a great book called Do Less by Kate Northrup that's got, got some um, really like interesting ideas about just about doing less and how to do less. Um, and then the, I mean, obviously we'll get to the point of like trying to share those tasks equally, but the other interesting thing, and I think the fair play methodology actually does quite a good job of, has this built into its process, is what's the acceptable standard for this thing because I think what often will happen is we will go, oh, okay, well, you, you know, there's this Mamma Mia article uh, that lots of people thought was hilarious but I just made me so filled with rage about um, one of the Mamma Mia, I was going to say authors, what do they do, journalists, writers, I'm not sure, (laughs) columnists. Contributors. Yeah, who – had had given had given her husband the job of feeding the dog. I read I don't it. Know if you've read I will it. find it and put it in the link. Oh it is. Gosh. I was mortified. Yeah, and look, this is also so interesting how we think about humor and you know, like just the incompetent dads in pop culture, The Simpsons, The Family Guy. You know, that this this idea of like that that's what um, male parenting looks like, um, and so. But there's a piece about just agreeing what that standard is. There's a, another great resource. Um, Robin Miller uh, does some great research, PhD, Dr. Robin Miller, um, and has a Facebook group called The Mental Load Project, which just has some, like, real horrific male incompetence in there. <laughs> but she's, you know, um, she's got another tip that I'll come to, but – being clear about the standard that's acceptable, I think, allows is really important to like then let go of that task for whoever's doing it. Because I think that that dynamic you described about 
I asked you to do something, which is mm. interesting language which we'll talk about, and then you did it not well enough. Yes. And so I will charge you. <laughs> and now we're in a parent-child dynamic, not in a adult-adult dynamic. Um, often comes from this like just lack of agreement about what the standard mm. is. And I think that's really important when we do feel like we couldn't possibly let someone else learn about this thing with our kid because our, because because the impact on our kid is like it's too much of a risk. So um, a piece about what the right standard is. And if, if you've got a really high standard for something that's genuinely really important to you, like maybe that's, maybe that's actually a job that fits on your list. An interesting point that um, I've got an episode where I interviewed a, um, a psychologist, uh, Dr Jill Gordon, and she says that – we spoke a little bit about this – and she says it's really important to let – you know, for, for the sake of the conversation we've been having, let the dad do things his own way without you telling him how to do them because what if that works better for the kids? Yeah. Like just because it's how you and the kids have gotten used to something working doesn't mean that it can't be done a different way and that that okay. dynamic of, you know, and she said kids kids are fine with that. They're fine with, thing, you know, mum and dad doing things differently and and that's a really important thing to let play out. Yeah, and I think if we unpack um, gendered expectations, I think there's this underlying idea that as women we are responsible for protecting and managing the relationships between others. And so I think that can really play out with, you know, in-laws, both sides, but also that's like a really critical thing to get underneath and just step out of the way of your partner having their own relationship with your kid because, like, it will be. I mean, obviously I really actually wanted to say up front, um, obviously one of the biggest risks to women in this country is um, family and domestic violence and a lot of the things I'm talking about, you know, and you will know um, whether or not, this is a safe thing to do in your relationship, um, you know, will be will depend on whether or not that dynamic may exist um, in uh, your home and your family. Um, and I'm sure we'll put some links for some support for anyone who might be thinking about having these kind of conversations with a partner and starting to feel like they might not be safe to have. Yes, and that's that, really important. That might be a really good um, time and place to think it might be, oh, my gosh, everything's gone out of my head, um, to maybe reach out to Relationships Australia, 1-800-RESPECT yep. or other services. The 1-800-RESPECT's a really good one. Yeah, great. Yep. That will exist in your um, jurisdiction, which we'll link to in the show notes. Look, I'm just delegating to Brody now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and um, I've completely lost my train now. Um, yeah, so this idea about um, – and I really feel um, – can feel that in myself sometimes is like trying to moderate relationships between yep. – um, in this example, like my husband and, and other people – uh, and that's a really important space to to step out of. 
yeah, because those relationships are really critical. Mm. And there's all kinds of really awesome research about about the impact that those good quality relationships between dads and kids have on everyone's health and wellbeing. I've noticed the difference with our kids and, and Leith too, we were talking about it the other day, since he's been home with them, because of course, because it's so much extra time. Just like on the flip side of that is I've noticed the difference with my relationship with them because I haven't been there four days a week. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, I just always remember this conversation I had at a wedding because um, I have for most of the time that I've had kids worked full time, which is often met with surprise. And I remember having a conversation with a man about um, that being like just a real shock that that's how much I worked. <laughs> and I, I always – I um, – I do like to have fun with these conversations. And I remember saying to him, oh, um, well, you work full time and you guys have three kids. Like we've only got two. <laughs> he said, oh, no, but that's just, a, that's just a lot. That's just a real, that's just a lot for a primary parent. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't, y- yeah, you've assumed I'm the primary parent. I don't think one of the big things that changed or well, that we said that that just was a result of having set up both having periods of parental leave and both having that experience of being solely responsible for every day in day out of um that kid's health and well-being is that neither of us think of ourselves as a primary parent and our kids really don't either mm. um and i've got like a little observation or joke that you can always tell when a dad is has not a lot to do with the nuts and bolts of parenting because those kids will walk past their dad to any woman at a barbecue to get their needs met. <laughs> um, and that's becoming like a less common experience, but I think it's something that I definitely see mm. from time to time. Do you think a lot of this has come about – because we have these ingrained shoulds, mm. the mum should stay home because historically that's been the case. And I suppose we've, we've touched on it a bit, but what are some of the solutions? We've touched on solutions in terms of partnerships, but what are some of the bigger picture solutions that you think would make a difference? Yeah, and I think the should is actually way more complex for women now. And it's been starting to become complex for um, dads in our generation of dads um, because I think the should is now, like you should work but not too much um, and you should be home but not all the time because that's like why don't you have other interests and, and lives, you know, um, and you should be there for – school pickup and perfectly manicured and go to the gym five times a week and keep up with your friends and I was like the other day I don't I don't even work full time I'm four days <laughs> and I was like okay when are you meant to exercise or have time for yourself or like, like see shower? friends yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like but when is that meant to happen exactly because for me I'm I'm either at work and I'm at work or I'm at home and because I'm at work four days a week, I want to like smother my children in play, when it's, <laughs> which look is not 
I'm, I'm finding my I'm finding my groove. <laughs> but when is there when is there the time for the extra things? Because I can't get up at five and go to the gym or for a walk or whatever because I'm up with my two year old at five thirty. Yeah. So it's like, and I think that the, where I landed on that was this is the phase I'm in, and that is you know being a parent is a moving beast, and that'll change and look different in six months a year whatever for sure and I think the important call out with the shoulds and like what that complex like obviously objectively unachievable should thing is is that like we are wrecked like we're exhausted and so I think the most I think the one of the kind of biggest um things that I love to talk to people about and because I um am a coach like I love problem solving um but just really expanding anytime there's a binary stay at home work you know childcare nanny like whatever the he works I work like whatever it is that the binary is um like there's just always so many more options and I think really designing kind of like being really clear about your values and your priorities this is pretty generic advice now that will be annoying (laughs) um yeah just being really willing to like design a life that actually works for you and your family and being really clear and you know like really good quality communication is um I think the foundations to navigating through this well because what you know, we talked a bit about being countercultural, but what happens in a life that's designed in the way that my family's life is designed is that, like everyone's countercultural. Um, and you have to be pretty robust, like, to um, take the heat on that, I guess. Because, mm. uh, yeah, it's, it's easy to, when there's not a lot of other families that structure themselves like that, like it, 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 it's pretty easy to cave on or feel like you're doing it wrong. Mm. Um, so, look if you're if you're um, at the stage in life where if you're at the baby stage in life, like I really think the period of time um, of parental leave is like such a great way to set your family up to success, but. If that's not available to you for whatever reason or you pass that stage, um, yeah, I think a really critical thing is about um, is about stepping back and I think making sure that the other parent has enough time to uh, feel the consequences of their decisions is <laughs> really big. Um, yeah, trying to share that load equally – communicating really like clearly and kindly and look I really like the mindset of um it's so easy in this discussion to be like it's me against you you know or like it's men against women so I really like the mindset of like can I swear on this podcast Brody yes okay I really like that there's going to be an e next to my (laughs) like there's this fucked up way that the world operates that you and I as a team are going to take on and win. Like it's just a really nice way to engage in that conversation. Yep. Because like, 
yeah, your husband is not the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) No. And And often having those conversations, particularly, um, I mean, like, you know, Matt's um, very used to these conversations now, um, mostly, you know, because it's an enormous part of my career. So um, he's like, relatively willing to engage in them but if it's a new conversation for you like it I think these conversations are really easy to spark defensiveness mm-hmm. um or like feelings of feelings of blame so I think that mindset shift can be really nice and I also the, the patriarchy damages totally. men maybe not as much but it, it it's not just women that cop the brunt of that like it doesn't serve men either none of this system serves men and putting my kind of hr hat on now and it was really interesting to hear about your husband's experience um like it's one it's a really easy way to attract talent Mm. uh and yeah i think that the i think that the expectations that um so interesting because you know now that i'm getting older um you know, the the men that I have worked with across my career are really moving into positions of of power. Um, you know, they're partners at big consulting firms and, um, you know, they have really big jobs and it's just so interesting to see them have this expectation of what they want, the types of parents they want to be. Um and I'm so excited to see what that looks like as they kind of progress their careers um, with, I guess, some pretty, like, robust expectations about what they expect in terms of flexibility, what their partners expect from them in terms of um, sharing things more, like sharing things equally and what that's going to mean for workplaces. Well, with um, with parental leave, if that was gender neutral, is there any reason that it that, that can't be the case? Is that something that businesses or companies decide themselves? Yeah. So, um, look, it's great to see my law degree will come in and useful <laughs> <laughs> for one thing. Yeah, the Fair Work Act uh, is, is completely gender neutral, but the entitlement that Australians have is to unpaid leave. So the entitlement to unpaid leave is both legislative and gender neutral. There's like some weird things that the federal government have put in place in terms of like Centrelink parental leave mm. um, and like that has very – that's a – policy position that is quite gendered um, towards being taken up by women and I think there's probably some I'm not going to talk about that a lot because I think there's like some probably complex policy including family violence overlays um, to that but it but it is it's got bad optics (laughs) but the thing about parental leave is it's almost any paid point parental leave is not a legislative requirement so it's all policy okay and it's all individual company policy so um, interestingly, you know, the com- the public sector has the, um, oh gosh, I think it's from 1984, and I think it's called the Commonwealth Employees Maternity Leave Act, which is being reviewed 
um, currently. So there's just some really kind of old ways of thinking that haven't totally permeated. Um, but there's, yeah, there's absolutely no reason why any organisation can't have a gender-neutral parental leave policy. You might not know the answer to this, and I hadn't. I, I just thought of it then. But are there, do you know of other countries that do this better? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh, it's one of the Scandinavian. It's, the Scandinavian countries are great at this. I can't remember if it's Norway or Finland. Someone will. One of the Scandi countries with Sweet, the beautiful Sweden. people. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a model that happens somewhere in Europe, across Europe, that's um, a three, three and three. So it's um, there's three months of parental leave um, and if the other parent takes another three months, then both can access the third three month. So there's a very much incentive built in mm. um, to men accessing um, that three months of leave in, in an attempt to overcome this, the genuine stigma that's attached with taking it, take, taking the leave, and which has had incredible, incredible statistical results um, in the country that I cannot remember. <laughs> but it's really fascinating because heaps of big corporates offer gender-neutral parental leave. Um, and, I mean, I haven't mentioned Annabelle Crow for a while, but she's uh, written <laughs> a quarterly... At least 20 yeah, yeah. She's written a quarterly essay... Um, called Men at Work, which is an amazing – because she, in the wife drought, um, she talks about really feeling like that idea about why are men not taking up these offerings, feeling mm. like that she just hadn't gotten to the bottom of that. Um, and there's a bunch of – this is one of my other favourite topics. Um, maybe we'll have to do a follow-up podcast about it. But there's – um, if you just – companies are found. If you just make your parental leave gender neutral and you do nothing else, your male participation will be incredibly low. And there's um, – I think there's two key reasons for that is my theory. The first is breastfeeding. So a lot of organisations will have just taken their existing policy, so, you, you know, maternity leave within the first 12 months and just – put in parental leave and what tends to happen, the co- the conversations that I think are happening between families is if you as a male want to access that leave, normally there's a requirement that you're the primary parent. So some at Rio Tinto and a bunch of organisations, Medibank I think is a, is a leader in this, a lot of the big four accounting firms, PwC in particular, um, have taken away primary and secondary carer, which is awesome. But if you've got a primary carer requirement, you'll normally then need to demonstrate that the other parent is doing something else. Wow. And so there's this tension of, hey, honey, (laughs) are you going to go back to work at nine months so that I can take this leave? And I do think one of the big obstacles for that is firstly, from a cultural perspective in Australia, um, we it's it's normal we think that 12 months is the right amount of time that a good mother <laughs> spends on parental leave and that's so interesting 
because that's really linked to the fact that in the 70s the Whitlam government brought in 12 months of unpaid parental leave. So it's incredibly cultural. You'll know, you know, if you think about the US, the t- the time which I'm not advocating for, but the r- normal amount of time office is three months. Yeah. All these cultural things that we make decisions of are just like linked to whatever particular piece of legislation, like kind of kicked it's us previously off. Previously been put in place, yeah. <laughs> and now we just kind of like follow along. Um, <clears throat> but it's really the gender neutral parental leaves that aren't being taken up are so interesting because they are. Families are like genuinely choosing to leave money on the table rather than be countercultural. Because if you think about a normally family finance, like no one's getting 12 months of paid parental leave. No. So, um, and lots of law firms, accounting firms, big banks, telcos have been offering this for like probably a decade. So, Thousands and thousands of families have decided that it's not worth. And, like, some of these places have 26 weeks of paid leave, you know, that it's not worth, like, pretty significant amounts of money in a family income Mm. to make use of that leave, which is really interesting. If you have time, I can tell you what I reckon a good parental leave policy looks like. Yeah, hit me with that. So... I'm not even letting Brody ask the questions anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a great time sitting yeah. here having a drink and listening. So I think a really good parental leave policy that encourages really good access and general new, gender neutral access um, is for at least an 18-month period, if not two-year year period following birth because I think that really does – I reckon that's – it's anecdotal. I don't have the research on it. I suspect that's an enormous – blocker to men taking that leave um also being available flexibly so instead of having to be taken in a big chunk um to be able to take in a day at a time a week at a time in different ways um like that uh the rea group has a realestate.com has a great policy like that and then the other thing is reducing the primary secondary um carer labels means that you might find that both parents take the first eight weeks off together. And, like, how amazing is that? Because it's so having, – having your partner return to work after two weeks, if you've spent a week in hospital, you've been a week at home and you've been smashed with visitors and then all of a sudden everyone leaves you alone. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many things that that drives too. Like, firstly, the amount of women who are not sleeping because – they're not willing to risk, you know, the only access their family has to income by their partners also not sleeping. Like that's incredibly impactful on maternal child health. Huge. Um, yeah, and like kind of men come back to work bleary-eyed after two weeks and we're just like, oh, yeah, how was your holiday? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and like don't change any expectations Um which is psychotic, like it's actually absolutely psychotic. So, um, look, yeah, I think that's – and those policies are becoming more and more common and um, don't increase the number of weeks if any of my – any of the head of HR of big law firms and accounting firms listening. But um, I think that that is way more attractive 
than the number of weeks. So that, you know, historically the kind of the big competition that got you into the Australia Financial Review was just like kind of increasing the number of weeks that you offered. Because for a while you would be the law firm that offered the most generous parental leave payment, you know, because it used to be 12 and then it was 16 and now it's 20 and um, 26 weeks is kind of the the like not not that uncommon anymore but definitely leading um, offering. But um, having those having those real flexibility and particularly taking that primary care label really demonstrates to people that it's actually okay to take that leave. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. It's just an interesting question for business because um, if you genuinely want to use it to attract people, then it's worth it being real. Yeah. And, that, and then it needs to be role-modelled. And there's like, I read an article. I shouldn't say this because I won't be able to find it and link it. <laughs> but it was an article that this guy wrote. Um, I think he lived in America, and he and his wife worked for either the same company or the companies they worked for had the same parental leave policies. And she went in and said, "You know, I'd like X amount of weeks or months off." And they said, yep, no worries. And then he went in and said, I would like to access our company's um, leave policy. And they said, oh, I mean, it's there, but no one really takes it. Yeah, it's not meant for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he ended up. Which is like the subject of litigation yeah. in the US. Um, I think he ended up, he either. This is an investment bank, it. actually, that this happened in. I'm remembering this ah. new story, some litigation about – I won't name which one because I can't remember. I'm he sure either they're all equally terrible. He, <laughs> but he ended up taking the time. Yeah. One way or another. Yeah. But just to have that, you know, and it was it, it was similar to what Leith experienced. I mean, they didn't say it in those terms, but, no, you can't work three days a week after you have a baby. You can work four days a week. Yeah, and there's an interesting um, legislative um, underpinning about flexible work compared to parental leave. So there is an enshrined right in the um, Fair Work Act um, to request flexible work and there's a like a bunch of listed reasons including caring for school-aged children or younger. And so it's got this interesting kind of compliance. Our, our bias is in conflict with the compliance overlay which is unless there's a reasonable business ground not to um, accept that request, yeah, you're in a bit of you're in a bit of trouble as a as an employer. Do you think COVID's changed any of this? Oh. Um, I'd like to be optimistic. I I think that it I think that like any extreme, it will have a pendulum response. So, and look, I think there's COVID does two things that as a HR practitioner, I would never recommend for working from home, which is don't work from home 100% of the time and don't work from home while supervising children. No, it's impossible. <laughs> so um, it's got like an, it, there's a, yeah, look, I think that it's definitely changed our 
mindset about what's possible and our mindset about what's acceptable. Um, and I think that we will, I think that we will experience shifts in that. It's also massively disrupted the talent market. So it's currently really a candidate market and candidates really care about flexibility. I'm not sure how sustainable that will be as we look at the economic circumstances we're likely to face. Mm. Um, yeah, because a, a lot of it's flexible work is definitely um, harder for managers to deal with. Yeah. So, um, and look, I'm a massive advocate for it and I think there's lots of incredible pros that outweigh that. So, you know, my job share partner and I, one of the things that we find is that we can actually bring two really different backgrounds um, and depths of expertise and make much better decisions. So there's enormous amount of talent benefits. Yeah, I think I do think COVID has changed the game. I think that the underlying ideas we have about what men and women are meant to do are going to be really pervasive. And I think the idea that sometimes we have that like if we just wait, like equality or diversity will kind of magically deliver itself (laughs) um, is just like a really – yeah, dangerous position mm. for us to have. So what's something empowering that you would say to parents in any capacity you yeah, would like for to sure. offer? I think the really I think the big thing to parents is um yeah, it's just like to be really brave to design the life that you want. Uh and that they're just like and just to think really expansively about what it is you're hoping to achieve and how you might go about it. And also that I highly recommend couples (laughs) counselling. I think that's pretty good advice. Now, is there anything that we missed or that you wanted to talk about that we didn't? No, thank you. I've had so much fun. Yeah, me too. Um, Could talk about this for days. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that it's you kind of start and there are all these like things that fire off i had um actually i gave up so pleased that we had had that conversation thank you so much to today's guest ellen hooper you have just been a wealth of knowledge and as such there are a billion links in today's show notes for various things that ellen and i spoke about Mummification is produced and hosted by me, Brody Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.